Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. On this week's episode, I present a real odd duck of an episode. It's me and me alone this week. I mean, I was supposed to be in Asia after all. I'll be diving in deep on my alphabetical list of favorite films and a whole bunch more. Let's get into it. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. Happy to have you here. Thanks for press and play. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, if you have not been paying attention, if you haven't been reading the blog or listening to previous episodes, that's okay. But uh, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Uh, the original plan was that uh, the day that you hear this, uh, Monday, November 20th, the day that this will first be available, uh, I was supposed to be somewhere in Southeast Asia, um, maybe traveling between Cambodia and Thailand. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you've been paying attention, and or if you haven't, that didn't go as planned. You can find out all the grisly details over at the Substack. Uh, I really don't want to go into them again here. But um, because of that, I, I hadn't planned to do interviews for these two episodes. I had set aside this time to do... Uh, some interviews with my mom. And and so I had left these open and thought, well, that'll be a really fun way to do that. And then I'll have a couple interviews I can publish right when I get back. And I've, I've had to rearrange the schedule a little bit, suffice it to say. So as such, uh, what I'm going to bring to you this week is a little bit different. It's going to be something based around the uh, the post that I just shared uh, today, as a matter of fact, I'm recording this on Sunday before, uh, of my favorite films by each letter in the alphabet. And I'm not going to bore you with the whole thing, but I'm going to kind of go through it, kind of talk about why I thought it was a fun exercise, um, some of the films that were included that maybe I haven't talked about more on the blog and the pod in the past. And this will probably wind up being a shorter episode because of that, but I assure you I've got some other interviews lined up and ready uh, to record and and roll. And I thank you for hanging with me for these odd couple of weeks. I had really hoped that we were going to have a chance to break up the movie and the music stuff a little bit with some travel talk. But um, my mom and I are working on a plan B already, and I don't want to jinx it right now. So once we have some things in place where we've actually got kind of a plan and we know what we're going to do, I'll be sure to to pass that info along. I hope to have that for you soon. Um, are you making sure that you're listening to WAIM Radio every Friday over at Rock on the Suburbs Radio at suburbsradio.com? Make sure that uh, that you are. I have new episodes that come up every single Friday at noon Eastern. As my friend Pete Dominic says, Eastern time, the only time zone that really matters. Um Anyway, uh, if you don't get a chance to listen to those uh, when they air between 12 and 1 every Friday uh, at noon Eastern, uh, you can go back and listen to archived episodes, and um, I've got those all over for you at whatamimaking.substack.com. Just search WAIM Radio, or if you look at the homepage, there's usually one there 
where there's an archived episode because there's one every week. So uh, make sure you go over there and you check those out. They're themed hour-long episodes. So, so far, I've done them based on um, the great state of Michigan, time, color, uh, the stereo, we've we've already hit some fun ones and we've got lots more coming, so make sure that you're checking that out. Make sure Monday, today's your last day to vote in our first set of uh, Elite Eight Roundup matchups in the Steven Spielberg Bracket Challenge. You probably are well aware of this by now, but we are winnowing down the uh, most famous and perhaps greatest filmmaker in American history uh, by taking all of his films and winnowing them down to the greatest Steven Spielberg film of all time. We have a hell of a matchup going on right now. Uh, we've actually got two matchups that are happening right now. Jaws is facing off against Munich, and that is a pretty one-sided affair. However, in the second matchup, we are in a dead heat. There is a a veritable tie right now going on between Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Schindler's List. It is really quite the face-off. I'm fascinated by this matchup. You can continue to vote until 6 a.m. Eastern Time, the only time that matters. 6 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, November 21st, will be your last opportunity to vote. So make sure that you go over to whatamimaking.substack.com. You get in there, and you get those votes in for our Elite Eight matchups. We'll have some more of those again coming this Saturday. So the way this is working right now is Votes are tallied for three days at a time. That will change for our final round. That one will be for a full week. Um, But right now, uh, voting begins every Saturday morning at about 7 a.m. and ends 72 hours later, so Tuesday morning, uh, the same time that it was posted. So make sure you're going over and checking those out. If you're listening to this on Monday, there is still time to vote in those two matchups that I just mentioned. Uh, One of the things I just started here a couple of weeks ago, and I've got more coming very soon, is a new series of essays that I'm working on called The Rideshare Files. These are stories that I am telling about my experience driving as an Uber uh, and Lyft driver. It's It's been fascinating work so far. I'm having a really good time. Uh, in a little bit, I'll talk to you more about what that's been like since I got home. Um, but uh, expect more coming in the, in the Rideshare Files series very soon. Uh, a couple of things I was particularly proud of that I published this week. Uh, the first one was I published an article called Echo and the Bunnymen, the first four. Uh, I hadn't done a first four uh, installment in a bit, and so I jumped in and I tackled the second best band from the great city of Liber- Liverpool, England. And uh, it's it was really well received. I got some really nice notes from people who I admire and look up to and respect. The other piece that I did this week that's been garnering a fair amount of attention, even though it's only been up for a couple days, is a piece that I wrote called Too Big to Hail, which is about uh, basically sort of my revulsion at turning on the Michigan-Penn State football game literally for just a matter of a few seconds and kind of being sickened by the fact that nobody seemed to remember the awful scandal that had happened at Penn State University less than a decade ago. Uh, when all of this came to light about the Jerry Sandusky thing. And it garnered a ton of response. Um, I had some immediate responses on Facebook where uh, I think some people were kind of upset that I was that I was thinking that I could make a morality judgment on institutions like that. And that's fair. 
um, or that they'd done more good than harm. And I think there's an argument to be made for that. I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I would be willing to have a respectful discussion about it. But there were also a ton of people who kind of came out of the woodwork, if you will. It was really the prevailing sentiment that that uh, sports have become pretty toxic. Um, I had several friends and 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 folks that I know chime in on a variety of, of platforms, mostly on Facebook, but people who also contacted me directly through a variety of, of avenues who, who basically said, hey, you know, I had this experience or I had that experience with not just specifically athletics, but specifically with football. And it dealt a lot with a culture of toxic masculinity. And it's something that I've thought about and worried about for a really long time. I had a lot of really negative experiences related to it in high school um, because I was kind of an odd kid. And I, I tried to kind of overcompensate my, my enjoyment of athleticism. I think I kind of tried to talk myself into loving it. And for a while I did. And I still do love it to some degree, but it's a, it's a complicated thing for me. And I think it's a complicated thing for many people. And I, it was interesting to kind of open that door. And I, I think it's the subject that I, that I want to talk about a little bit more and I want to maybe investigate a bit, but it was certainly good to hear from all of you. If you have thoughts, if you have things that you'd like to talk to me about, if you have feedback, even if it's, Hey, what the hell were you thinking when you wrote that thing? Uh, Cause I've had some of that uh, reach out to me. The best way to do that is to, uh, e- email me at what am I making blog at gmail.com. You can email me questions, thoughts, comments, uh, rants, raves, uh, you know, criticisms, whatever you have. I, I want to hear from you. Another great way to reach out is to leave me a message. You can go to speakpipe.com slash what am I making. It's really easy. You can use the uh, microphone on your tablet, your phone, or your uh, your laptop or your desktop computer. And it will uh, record a message, and then I can play it on the show. I can listen to it like a good old-fashioned voicemail, and um, we can start a conversation. So please reach out. The other thing you can do to, to, to really help out is like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. Um, it, I noticed specifically it's been quite a while since anybody put anything up over at the old uh, the old Apple podcast, which is where most of you are listening. About half of my audience is listening on that one platform. So if you could go over there and like rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or in Spotify specifically. I'm going to put a call out to those two groups this week. If you could do that, that would be huge. It is amazing what that does for the way that it moves us around in the algorithm so that it shows up in the feeds of potentially new listeners. So it's a really, really big, big, important thing. And I and I would really, really appreciate it if you would go over there and do that. So uh, I don't have an interview this week, so this is a little bit um, this is a little bit odd. We're not going to do the typical, normal Maddie C to David J's amazing uh, "What Am I Making" theme music transition. We're just going to keep rolling with uh, with my ugly mug, which is uh, which is a face built for radio. Um, so uh, this is about a piece that I just published today, November 19th, which, by the way, I'm recording this on my daughter Hannah's birthday. Happy birthday, Miss Hannah. I love you dearly. I know she's not going to listen to this, but I had to tell all of you so that you would know so that I could feel like we're celebrating her birthday uh, together, even though you're listening uh, a day later. Time is time is weird, especially when you're recording things ahead of time. It's very strange. Um, so anyway, let's uh, Hannah, happy birthday, Hannah. Uh 
so let's jump let's jump into the the big thing I really want to discuss this week, which is this exercise that I did recently called the ABCs of cinema. And the idea behind it was that it was movies by the letter. So it was it was every letter in the alphabet and I needed to pick a film that was my favorite film that starts with that letter. Pretty simple, pretty pretty easy. But it took me quite a while to put it together and I'm pretty sure it's not right. I'm pretty sure I screwed up. And I, I could have picked something else. I could have picked other things. But let's talk about what I did pick and why why I picked it. Um, and uh, and go through some of these. And I can kind of talk about them a little bit. And I won't, I won't bore you extensively with these. But this is a way for me to kind of expand an article I wrote. And again, uh, I'm not even supposed to be here today. So uh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's, let's jump in. Um, first one, A, African Queen. Uh, this is a film that my father loved dearly and that, that I watched a bunch with him and with my, my mom and my sister growing up. It is, uh, it's the story of uh, a guy who is kind of a ne'er-do-well boat captain in, um, in the center of Africa during World War I. And he happens upon a woman who's working in the wilds of Africa as a missionary. It's it's a pretty colonial tale. It's, it doesn't hold up great in that respect. Um, but uh, the pair, played brilliantly by by Humphrey Bogart and, and Catherine Hepburn, who are two of my very favorite actors of all time and two of the greatest actors to ever grace the silver screen, ever, ever, ever. And this is a just a brilliant collection of their their genius talents it's funny it's romantic it's sweet it's an adventure uh, it's just it's great um breaker morant we have talked about on this podcast in fact go back and listen to last week's episode if you haven't already where i shared my discussion with our small but mighty movie club uh see casablanca i mean what else are you gonna say i mean it truly is one of the greats um there are very few days i still don't quote it um it is uh, it is one of the truly essential pieces of cinema that I think everyone must see. Uh, Double Indemnity is our D. Uh, this, is, this is just such a favorite on so many levels. Again, this is a family favorite that I have seen so many times. Um, Barbara Stanwyck and, and Fred McMurray are just wonderful. The first time I saw this film, I... You know, of course, I knew Fred McMurray from from My Three Sons. Most of you don't know what My Three Sons is. It was this TV show that was on in the '60s, and they ran it in reruns a lot when I was a kid. And so I I always associated Fred McMurray with this kind of goofy TV show that apparently he hated doing, but he made so much money he couldn't say no to it. Well, Double Indemnity, if you're familiar with it at all, is a Billy Wilder film about uh, a woman who has an affair with an insurance agent, and they plot to kill this woman's husband and keep the money. And it's Maybe it's it's one of the three best film noirs ever made. It is um, absolutely genius. It is um, it's a stunning film, and if you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, e this is uh, this is appropriate for our, our Spielberg challenge. E T the extraterrestrial is my choice there. F is uh, Frankenstein the original, uh, the James Whale film with Boris Karloff. Um, I think this is a film that not only is brilliant from the standpoint of being the best of the, you know, the universal horror films, but I also think it holds up incredibly well because 
it's a great parable for the way that we other people. And it's a tremendous film in that respect. And if you haven't seen this film or if you haven't seen this film in a really long time, there's a lot more to it than the monster angle. And it's a really, I think it's a really beautiful piece of human cinema about a non-human subject. Uh, I would highly recommend that you go back and watch it if you haven't seen it in a really long time. Uh, the Godfather. I, you know, uh, Sherman Alexi, who who is a, a apparently a fan somehow of my Substack and a subscriber, uh, was the first person uh, to to respond to this uh, this article. And his G was Goodfellas, and that answer is just as acceptable in my mind. I would just as easily have have accepted Godfather or or Goodfellas. I chose Godfather because it was sort of the no brainer for me. Um, when pressed, I often refer to it as the greatest American film ever made. I don't know if I believe that a hundred percent, but I believe that it's always in the discussion. Um, we could talk about this movie forever. I could just talk about Meat Sauce forever. I've done that. Go back and look. Um, H, Harold and Maude. Uh, I have a really wonderful story about this film coming this week, so please stay tuned for that. I don't want to spoil it. I do want to give a shout-out to my friend Barrett, though, who was the first person to comment on this article who said, hey, Harold and Maude is my favorite film of all time. I'm so thrilled that it's in here. I've seen it like 100 times. Um, Barrett, ain't this film just a gem? I can't wait for you to read my article. I, in the mood for love. Um, This is... um, Oh, wow. This is a film that just, it wrecks me. Um, it's, I'm going to write more about this too. I've got, I've got one coming where, um, this is actually going to be part of a new thing we're going to uh, do fairly soon. And I'm excited to, to launch that too. So, uh, it seems like these all have kind of an agenda. Boy, I didn't mean for this to be this way. Jay is, I mean, it's Jaws. How could it not be? Uh, will that be the film that winds up winning the Steven Spielberg bracket challenge? I don't know. Go vote. Find out. Uh, K, uh, the kid, um, sadly, uh, the only, uh, silent film in my list. Um, I thought of a couple of others that I really seriously considered, but, um, I felt like my list had to have some Chaplin and it had to have a silent and this is just a hell of a film. And if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen Chaplin, go and watch it. You don't have to watch the kids specifically, but watch the gold rush or modern times or maybe my favorite Chaplin city lights. Um, Go watch those films and, and understand why he really was a genius. The lost weekend is my uh, submission for L uh, I don't know how many of you have seen this film. This is another Billy Wilder film. I Shit, I could have probably filled half my list just with Billy Wilder movies. Um, this, is a, this is a film that's the story of a writer who is uh, a terrible alcoholic who is trying to get clean uh, with the well-intentioned help of his, his friend and his lady friend. And... Ray Milan won Best Actor for this, and I think the film may have even won Best Picture. And it is, oh, it is just a, first of all, it's one of the truly great performances in cinema. Ray Milan's performance in this film is gut-wrenching to watch. There is a scene where he pawns a typewriter, and he does it so that he can buy booze, and it is one of the most absolutely gut-wrenching sequences you will ever, ever watch. And as somebody who is a writer, 
Uh, it's doubly hard. Uh, my M is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And uh, this is a film that, I, no surprise, was a pretty big deal to me when I was in high school. And it's still a pretty big deal to me. But it was especially a big deal to me when I was in high school. This was a movie that I watched regularly on the weekends with my nerdy friends. We grew up in kind of the nascent days of, of VHS. And we were able to get a copy of this film and a couple of other uh, Monty Python things from HBO. And this was a movie that I watched incessantly growing up and I knew the whole damn thing. I still probably know most of it. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of comedy and satire. And um, I know it's a totally nerdy thing of its time, but I, I just can't help myself. Uh, Nanachka is my N. Uh, this is a marvelously charming film with uh, Greta Garbo and um, it's been a very long time since I've seen it this is another family favorite this this came out in 1939 and so it came out in the same year as The Wizard of Oz and Stagecoach and Gone with the Wind and a number of other vaunted vaunted pictures in what many refer to as the greatest year of cinema. Now, I did write a piece that's counter to that that says the 1950 has a couple of things to say about that, so make sure you go over and check that out. But um, as I said, I didn't mean for this to turn into a plug fest. Um, to my mind, if you're not familiar with sort of the power of Garbo, Nanachka is a great place to start. Um, it is, uh, it's terribly funny. She's not known for doing comedy, but she does it really well. And it's a it's a film that I need to go watch again because it's been a really, really long time. But it is a it's a darling, darling piece of cinema that will be just a joy for you for a hundred minutes. I can't recommend it enough. O is out of the past, which to my mind is probably the greatest film noir of all time. Uh, Robert Mitchum plays a guy trying to live a new life. He's trying to completely change, and he's sort of, in the words of Michael Corleone, pulled back in. And uh, he is um, wooed by a, a devilish and an absolutely gorgeous Jean Greer. Um, holy cow, she is something in that movie. Uh, Kirk Douglas has a great supporting role. He's an absolute bastard, and he's just terrific. And I, uh, I adore this film. Uh, if you don't know a lot about film noir you could do a lot worse than starting with Out of the Past and Double Indemnity. Uh, for P, I went with Pulp Fiction. This is a movie that totally blew my mind open. I, I think for most people, specifically dudes of my age, uh, this film is maybe more lauded than it should be, but it's really important to me. It's a really important film. It's not a movie that most people need me to talk about much, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but... Um, it's a movie that I still enjoy watching. It's been a number of years since I've seen it, but even the last time, three or four years ago that I watched it, it was, you know, it's breezy. It's like, uh, uh, as Hunter S. Thompson used to say about The Great Gatsby, when he would read that, it was like, it was like a cat laying on its back, having its belly rubbed. Uh, Q is, uh, there were not a lot of options, but I went with Quiz Show, which I think is a terrific film directed by Robert Redford and, and featuring a really great performance from Ray Fiennes, and a superb uh, supporting performance from John Turturro. Everybody in that film is really, really quite good. Um, 
that's a that's a film that I think uh, got a lot of love in the moment that it was made and then was largely forgotten. And I don't know that it's necessarily a great film, but I think it's a really interesting film. It tells a particularly poignant piece of American history that's a little bit unknown and uh, it features some really good performances. And um, I think it, I, I definitely think it's it's worth a revisit. Um, what do we on now? We're on our second, uh, third Spielberg joint. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark makes its uh, debut at R. Uh, it's not really a debut. We talk about this film all the time. I don't need to talk about this film anymore. You've heard the story about when I first saw it. You know that it's probably... Uh, blowing its way to the finals of the Steven Spielberg bracket challenge. There's not a lot you need me to say. It's awesome. Hum the theme song to yourself while I'm talking about it. Uh, S is a sweet smell of success. Um, I really struggled to choose between the sweet smell of success and some like a hot. And in fact, if you look closely at the gallery uh, of images in the article that I posted on Sunday, you'll notice that both of those films appear clearly I was not really with it when I put that gallery together, but I'm going to leave it there as a symbol of my inability to choose. But I did choose Sweet Smell of Success. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this film. I am I, I'm so in love with this movie. I think this movie is just incredible. It it's it's the story of uh this sort of venal uh ambitious, smarmy little press agent named Sidney Falco, played by Tony Curtis, in what I think is unquestionably the greatest performance of his career. I mean, I just think the man is, uh, he, he's the performance is transformative. It is an absolutely amazing acting uh, display. It's He's incredible. Um, he is sort of mentored and led into a world of riches due to the connection that he has with a very famous columnist named J.J. Hunsecker, who is played with icy, cool, uh, and calm evil, I would say, by Burt Lancaster. And this is a film that not only features two just stupendous performances, but takes place in one night is shot on location and is a story of both the moment in time that it takes place and it feels very documentary-like, but is also an incredible morality play. And I, oh, wow. I, I mean, this is a film that I have not written about yet, but I, I absolutely want to and need to, and it's a film that I want to discuss at length. And it's a film that I hope you, dear listener, will will go out and find. It's called The Sweet Smell of Success. And if there's one film from this list that maybe you don't know anything about, of all of them, I kind of feel like this is the one that I hope most of you pick up on. Uh, obviously, there were a ton of other S's in addition to some like how that I could have chosen from. This was a particularly difficult episode, or not episode, but letter, just simply because of the number of choices available. But uh, I, I settled on Sweet Smell of Success, and uh, I'm, I'm sticking with it. My tea is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I'm not sure there is a better adaptation of a book than this. And I will caveat, because everyone right now is thinking, oh, but Jaws, Jaws, the film is better than the book. Yeah, but that book is garbage. That book shouldn't have been a good movie. So we're going to throw that out. 
What I'm talking about is a great book that becomes a great film. That doesn't happen very often. And yes, I can see some of you standing next to Atlanta burning and go, what about Gone with the Wind? Not great on either account, my friend. Go back and look that one up on the blog if you want to get into some shit. Now, on to Kill a Mockingbird. First of all, um, there's not a single performance in film history where I'm so certain that only one person could have done it. Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch is unquestionable. It is one of the truly greatest performances in film history, bar none, uh, which seems to be a theme here. Uh, And it brings out the essence of the book without squashing it, without leaving out sections of it, without dispensing with its essence. It does everything well, and it never stops being a movie of and about kids, even though Atticus Finch is the hero. And it's just, oh my God, I love it so much. And uh, I feel now, again, by putting this list together, compelled to watch it again. My choice for you is a bit of a, a, a weird one because it's a film that I didn't even like the first time that I saw it. And when I tell people this story, they are shocked and horrified. And that film for you is The Unforgiven. I saw this film on Christmas Day, the year that it was released, I think, which might have even been the day that it came out. And I was pretty disappointed and bored by it. I don't know if I was in the wrong frame of mind or if I didn't get it or if I was just dumb, but I didn't enjoy it. And then, I mean, I I avoided it for at least a couple years. And then I had somebody finally, I don't even remember who it was, had somebody finally go, hey, you need to you need to give this another shot. And I, I literally went and I rented it again, and I was blown away. I was blown away at what a great piece of Western cinema it is. And uh, I don't think it's the best Western. They're not even paying for an ad. Best Western, are you listening? Are you listening no, they're not. That's why I'm not that's why I'm not doing ads for Best Western because they're not listening. But here, this is this is not the best Western that's ever made, been made, in my opinion. I, I think it's I think it's incredibly good. And I think it's in the conversation, but to my mind, there are a couple that that eke it out. But what it is is a film that is made at a time when Westerns weren't being made the way that they were when sort of the classic and and most vaunted titles of the genre were being made. You know, this is a this is a movie that was made in the early '90s. Um, you know, we think of we think of westerns as being something of the '40s and the '50s, or maybe the '60s. You know, this is a movie that was made within a handful of years of Pulp Fiction, the movie I just mentioned. And so, I, I think in some respects, um, you know, this is this is a film that that because of when it was made and and the people who made it. It stands as a really interesting moment uh, in cinema, and I, I even now look at it as a direct recitation, not recitation, refutation, I should say, of Dances with Wolves, of this idea of the, um, I think The Unforgiven pretty much, <laughs> pretty much nails down the idea that there's no savior coming, let alone a white savior, um, like there is in... in Dances with Wolves, and I don't think that's the essence or the message of the film, but it's something that I'm struck with now looking back at it some 30 years later. Uh, v, as I ramble about The Unforgiven, is Vertigo. I mean, what was I going to pick? 
I mean, I, I know there are other films that are probably excellent, but like this one was pretty easy. Uh, again, not even my favorite Hitchcock film, but it'd be a really poor list if there wasn't a Hitchcock film in here, I, I think. And, you know, Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Stewart. And uh, my grandfather really disliked a couple of Jimmy Stewart films because he was kind of smarmy in them, and this is one of them. He really disliked this, and he really disliked Flight of the Phoenix because he's just an asshole in that. Um, the Wizard of Oz is my W. Uh, I think probably if we're being honest about films that shape me and films that shaped people growing up in the same time that I grew up, it's The Wizard of Oz is almost inescapable, even if you don't love it. You've been formed by it. You've been shaped by it. We've all been transformed by that moment that Dorothy walks through that door and it goes from black and white to color. And 90 years later, that is still stunning and shocking and amazing. And the magic of movies is still directly woven into that film. And because of that, uh, it continues to delight and amaze new audiences every year. And that's why we still show it. And again, if we're talking about films that everybody has to see, I think you have to see The Wizard of Oz. Um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about making a list. I, I got this book a number of years ago for Christmas from my folks that really kind of solidified the, the film lover in me. And it really took it to a new level. I mean, I was a nerd before, but it got especially bad after I got this book called 1001 Movies to See before you die. And the last time I looked, I was like 600, 650, something like that. And it's, it's been a few months since I looked at the list again, you know, so I'm probably, I'm probably into the, I'm probably well into the mid 600s by now. I don't know for sure, but, um, and I don't want films to be an exercise. I don't want it to be a to-do list. I want to be able to enjoy them. I want to be able to soak them up and love them. But, uh, you know, and there are some of these films that are on this list that I've seen and they're just god awful and I don't know why they're there, but that's gonna happen. But there are reasons to watch these films. But I'm thinking about maybe trying to do something like sort of like a hundred. Turner Classic movies used to do this thing called the essentials, where they would sit down every week and they would introduce a film that they thought was essential for you to be a movie lover. And I don't know if I want to do something like that or not, but um I think the Wizard of Oz is essential. Uh X. Not a ton of options. Went with the X-Files. It's not even that good a film. There are two of them. The first one's better than the second one. We don't need to say a whole lot more. Young Frankenstein. Um, Again, when I do these lists, it's hard to incorporate comedy like I want to. Because with drama, it feels like you can touch on so many things. And comedy is a part of that, right? You can have these these dramatic films that have these funny moments. I mean, Jaws is a really funny film. You know, Pulp Fiction's a really funny film. But sometimes you just want funny. You don't want the other stuff. I don't need adventure. I don't need, I just want funny. And you'd be hard-pressed to do better than Mel Brooks in my mind. And Young Frankenstein is my favorite of his for a couple of reasons. One, I just, I think it's the, the tightest one. I think it's, I think it's got the the best structure and the best jokes and, uh, I love Blazing Saddles and I and I um I especially adore History of the World Part 1. But as a film, I think Young Frankenstein works better 
it's got a beginning, a middle, and end, and it also it gets to give you these little nuggets of film love too, and so you kind of get this sort of triple layer dip with it, and um, it felt to me like it was the best choice for the Mel Brooks films, and it was the best choice for another comedy to add. And the last one I'll say is a is a film called Z, which is a a, a real movie from 1969 about a political uprising that I haven't seen in a really long time and I have seen it and I did enjoy it and I remember very little about it. And it's one of the handful of films that were available for me to choose uh, that started with Z. So I went with that uh, cause I didn't really feel comfortable picking. Um, there wasn't anything else that I like. Zellig is fine, but like, I don't love it. It's fine. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my list. That is my, that is my list of 26 films by the alphabet. What does yours look like? I would really, really like to hear about it. I would love to hear what you have to say, what your thoughts are, uh, what films what films that I mentioned uh, in my list that are particularly fond to you. What did I mention that would be on your list? What did I mention and you would go, no, 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 no. You picked the wrong thing, pal. Let me know. Send me an email, what am I making blog at gmail.com or go to speakpipe.com slash what am I making and leave me a voicemail. I will see you next week, my friends, back with another episode, another interview, and more of what am I making. Until then, I will see you over at the blog and over at WAIM Radio at suburbsradio.com. Thanks again. I'm Maddie C. I love you. Be well, and I'll see you next week. episode of Maddie C and his all alone ADHD.